ulterior. So here's the deal with this episode and why it's separated into two parts. And the part you're listening to right now is part one. There were nine albums last week for me to listen to and subsequently talk about on the show. And it would have been very, very easy for me to just be like, you know, hey guys, there were nine albums, but for the sake of time, I'm only reviewing in detail three or four or five or whatever route I could have taken. But I'm here not just for the love of the game, like I always say, but also to stand on business. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to stand on fucking business and get through everything I need to. Even if it's going to take a little bit more time for me to put this out, I really, really feel like this is what I should be doing. So this is part one. And on part one, I'm going to be talking about new singles by the likes of The Requiem, Capstan, and a few others I want to mention. Not a ton, but just a handful, sort of. And then brand new records by and Holofront. A Virtue, and Year of the Knife. Thank you so much, thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this part one of the episode. want to keep this as short and concise and effective as I can. So instead of talking about news topics like I try to most of the time, I'm just going to go ahead and go right into the singles for the episode. And the first one up, my favorite of this bunch was an elegy written on porcelain arms by the Requiem. This is going to be featured on the debut album by The Requiem. It is called A Cure to Poison the World, out February 16th. I missed my first chance to really talk about The Requiem under the name The Requiem back towards the beginning of September, I believe it was, when they rebranded from L'Exquisite Dolier into The Requiem. And I really, really wanted this chance to tell you guys about The Requiem, because I think they are one of the most exciting fresh bands in the scene right now. And their core sound, you can liken it to both the previous era of post-hardcore, like the older era with AFI and the U's and that sort of stuff. And then even, you know, what bands today like Static Dress and uh, Foreign Hands, Sea uh, Space Cowboy, like kind of that essence of what they bring to us. That is what the Requiem does, and they do it in a very unique way, in their own ideas and their own brand, their own packaging. It's the exact kind of, you know, theatrical, post-hardcore that is still accessible, that I, I crave for. Like, the sing-along moments on this track are fucking catchy and infectious, and they work. And they don't just work in, like, a subtle way. They work in a way that makes the Requiem stand out above almost every one of their contemporaries within those genre lines today. The Requiem is an amazing band. I think this song is just a great showcase for anybody who might be 
introducing them on it and hopefully it, it keeps them entertained and interested in the band moving forward into the debut album out February 16th. And and by the way, there is a song on the album called L'Exquisite Doulier. That is a phenomenal bit. I fucking love that. Um, Capstan, they have two new singles out, at least within like the last week or so. And one of them I want to get into right now it is Heart to Heart featuring Jason Tyler from Belmont. So yeah, Capstan had two songs, Bete Noir, which I did not talk about because of timing reasons or whatever, and then now Heart to Heart, which I feel like I have no choice but to really highlight because Heart to Heart, it feels like this is the exact kind of sound that I want Capstan to be chasing. And not that there was anything wrong with Bete Noir, I quite enjoy that song, but just having, you know, that like that emotional range and that gripping melody is what makes heart to heart stand out because to me it's what made capstan stand out in the first place it is so catchy while being very moving and there's this real sort of like vibe that goes throughout the song that it feels like i could have been hearing the song in 2010 or 2011 and getting to hear this song now it's very special to me and meaningful and i really do enjoy when capstan can do that for me because they're a band that has been there in some dark times i'm sure whenever the new capstan album is out next year i'll be able to kind of have more of a floor to talk about those moments but at least for right now i just want to say that heart to heart is amazing and i value this song a great deal so uh, actually in the um in the interest of time restraint and all that sort of stuff i'm gonna go ahead and talk about just one more single for the episode a and i wanted to make sure that i get to it because it's really important to me request denied by letters sent home Request Denied is the first song by Letters Sent Home as part of Sharptone Records. They just signed with them, and that was very, very fucking cool to see. Letters Sent Home is a band who I've kind of been watching, you know, here and there throughout the last few years, and whenever I checked in on them, I was generally always satisfied with their sound, but there was something about Request Denied that puts it above the rest of the band's catalog and it does so as effectively as a song as important to them as request denied possibly could have and, and now that they're on sharp tone they do feel like maybe the at least sonically like the most bubbly band on that label in a way but when it comes to the lyricism and everything that request denied is standing for that is where the song kind of takes on a life of its own. 
like the chorus specifically where Emily says, I wrote a thousand songs about depression, but I'm still depressed. Sang a hundred lines about progression, but I'm still a mess. And to have those very like nihilistic lyrics be supported by a song that feels as upbeat and exuberant sonically as Request Denied, I think that is going to do a lot of good for Letters at Home in this new tenure as part of Sharp Tone. And they're a band who I think have all of the potential in the world to, you know, really be pillars for that label and be pillars out there for any of you guys who gravitate towards this kind of music because Letters Sent Home have that it factor and I cannot wait to watch it grow and expand. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in their views on social media. Lemonade by Black Honey, The Answer by Cardinals, How to Disappear by Casey, Safe With Me by Costin, Nangi Hala by Shifre, I probably butchered the fuck out of that, Way Out by Colorblind, Soul Urge by Come Away featuring Weeping Wound, Faithless by Conversation, ADD by Dead American, Jinx by Diamond Construct, Grudge by Espiritier, Stay by Floya, Yakisoba Dare by Galleons, The Creature by Gaslands, Menace by King Cold, She's a Vampire by Lil Lotus, Soul Stealer by Makari, Nightmare by Paloma, All In Forever by Profiler, Distressed by Relapse, Blood or Wine by Saving Vice, Evil People by Set It Off, Better Place by Set For Tomorrow, Psychopath by Sick Brain, and Geese Attack by the C4 Cinema. There was one song that I gave a 3 out of 5 to, and that was Eat Your Friends by Jiraiya and Pink Shift. I'm not really sure what went wrong here, because I do enjoy Jiraiya and Pink Shift separately, but somehow when they came together for this track, it just didn't really feel like as vivid in a way as their material individually does, so... Yeah, a, a little bit of a letdown when it comes to that collaboration. So those were the singles for the week, and now it is time to start the stretch. That is the reason why this episode is being split into two parts. Not because there's too many albums, but because there's too many albums to put on the artwork for the show. And the artwork is important to me, so, you know, gotta make do what we got, I guess. I'm also not going to punish bands for hooping because at large, that's what happened this week. Bands hooped, and I want to celebrate that. So the first record up is The Sin of Human Frailty by End. For anybody who may be unfamiliar, End is a project that involves some absolute beasts like Brandon from Counterparts and Will from Fit for an Autopsy and Better Lovers and Matt from The Acacia Strain. Like, genuinely, an all-star lineup is here with End. And it's always so cool to be able to hear and see different sides of artists who have proven their versatility time and time again. There's a number of things about End that makes them special to me, and part of that is it feels like a group of guys just really 
having fun in about as fun of a manner as you can be while also sounding really, really pissed off. And another element to end act that makes them so fun to hear and makes the sin of human frailty mean more in my eyes is that it sounds like one big connective thread, like each song going into the next. Um, the way that a predator yourself goes into gaping wounds of earth is a great example of that. Like it feels like there's one continuous story and thread being expanded and spread throughout the record. And you kind of get to unlock these different layers of the story as you go from song to song. And it's all made even more captivating by just how unrelenting the record is and just how fucking brutal it sounds. And the manner in which End can kind of find that perfect marriage between hardcore and deathcore and beatdown and anything else you can think of within those genre lines, it really does help and stand out, not just from other bands around them, but also the bands that the members are part of. Like, End does not sound like counterparts at all, even with having the same vocalist. I don't listen to End and feel reminded of Fifer and Autopsy or the Acacia Strain. Every member of End has done their goddamn part to make sure that this material here is special and stands out from anything else that they do. And when I speak about the album being a connective thread, the other thing that I mean to say is that there is almost just one motion throughout all of this. Go, 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 go. For most of the runtime, the album just never lets up, never really lets you have that breather or space to reflect on what you heard. The only moments where you kind of get glimpses of that would be the intro sections for Embodiment of Grief, Hollow Urn, and Leper. And even then, those songs are very quick to just ramp the aggression back up and you know right when you think okay maybe there's a pause here or a break you're thrown right back into the deep end and it's fucking tremendous how end managed to do that on this album and make each one of those moments where the band just comes back in full throttle make this album feel like a spectacle in a lot of ways and since I mentioned Embodiment of Grief, there was a tweet made by Brandon who said that the song is like a sequel of sorts to Whispers of Your Death. And if you guys don't know, Whispers of Your Death was a song featured on Counterpart's album from last year. And it was a song written about Brandon's cat, Kuma, who sadly passed away a little bit after the song released. And getting to hear this side of his story about Kuma and, you know, obviously it's just a, a lot more aggressive and angry as anybody would be in that position. It is a, a real journey in a way to know what this song means and what it's supposed to represent. And that did help create even more of an attachment to this record overall for myself. I believe wholeheartedly that End delivered on every front that they needed to for this record. It is 
somehow massively fun while also being kind of gutting and painful at times to get through, it, it finds this way to embrace and cherish the uncomfortable nature of End's sound, and it's not going to be an album for everybody, but if you are somebody who has the sort of brain pattern and the listening habits to really make The Sin of Human Frailty one of those albums that you keep close to you, I promise you, you will keep it very, very close. We have the new Holofront release. It is The Fear of Letting Go. There are a lot of memories that I have with Holofront when it comes to covering them on this show. And not necessarily in like a nostalgic way because it's only been two years since I first reviewed any material for them. But that initial single that brought them into Alteria's lore, which was Treading Water, remains one of my favorite metalcore songs of the decade so far. And every time I hear it, I think right back to that time in August of 2021 and everything that was going on in my life, you know, coming out of the pandemic and just kind of finding my footing again, figuring out what I wanted to do. And then subsequently, I get a similar feeling with their 2022 album, The Price of Dreaming, and the sheer comfort that that album provided me with at the time. Now, the band has undergone some lineup changes since then. They're now a duo after bassist Brandon and guitarist Dakota departed Holofront. Although Dakota is still featured on this record on songs like Under Pressure and Letting Go. And, and I do feel like you can really hear the intricacies in his style of playing. And that makes those songs feel a little bit more at home with regards to the sound of Holofront that I am personally familiar with. And it might not be a coincidence either that those are the two songs that I ended up feeling the most of a connection to coming out of the record. Like, it was so easy for me to hear those songs and just feel like, this is Holofront. Like, this is the band that I know and love. And I say that because with those songs that, you know, do channel the... Uh, the spirit of Holofront that I am familiar with, that comes with this ability to navigate an emotional range in the melodies for the songs. And when I hear tracks like Will I Run and Over the Cradle, it feels like they're just kind of missing a, a little bit of that sort of spark and magic that I know Holofront have within them. I know they're capable of but it just didn't feel like the the same effort that went into some of their best material went into some of the material here. And I don't mean that in like a harsh or negative way. It's just something that I couldn't really shake off when listening to The Fear of Letting Go. I think the biggest moment of sort of maybe disappointment came with the song Stay With Me, because at that point, it, it kind of felt like, the album didn't just run into a wall in terms of being formulaic, 
But that song just kind of felt like a, a little bit devoid of the characteristics of Holofront that really speaks to me. It was just like, okay, the vocal performance is a little bit dull. The instrumentation isn't exactly exciting or interesting either. And it's like, all right, let's, what are we doing here? Like, that's generally what I felt hearing that song. What are we doing here? Because it comes after this sequence with Crash and Burn and Under Pressure. Crash and Burn features JT from Era, and that song is fucking blistering, dog. Like, I had an amazing time hearing Crash and Burn, and still, every single time thereafter of listening to it, I feel like that song just really has, like, this driving force and this burning passion that makes me invigorated when it comes to a band like Holofront. And then, to get Stay With Me right after that, and then even, you know, Good Things Never Last, which isn't, like, overtly exciting either but also not as mundane as say with me it's just kind of like i don't feel like this is in alignment with the same material from this band that i'm so used to and thankfully the record does end off on one of its best notes with letting go which i mentioned earlier is a dakota song and kind of coming out of the fear of letting go i don't want to write off Holofront, and I never will, because I know Holofront is always going to be a band that I'll have good things to say about. Even if there are some bad things simultaneously, they're always going to, um, you know, like have a spot in my heart for how important they've been to me in the past before. And, you know, one album that has some missteps is not going to spoil any sort of outlook that I have on the band at large. I will still be paying attention to Holofront. I will still be championing them. Yeah, some misfires here and there on the record, and maybe I came off a little bit too harsh about it, but I do that out of love. I do that out of a genuine interest in what this band does, because that is something they have been this entire time. They've been interesting. They've been exciting. They've been fun, and I want to see that continue for this band, and I hope moving forward, they are able to find this new groove and step as a duo for the first time. Let me tell you guys what I feel like I want to tell you about Omen by a Virtue. I think out of every band that I'm discussing records for between both parts of this episode, Of Virtue is the one I would say I have the least detailed and extensive history with. And that's not indicative of the quality of their music whatsoever or the talent of the members involved. But just maybe because, you know, they are usually active at times where I I might have other things going on or there were other releases that pulled me in just a little bit more than the standards of Virtue track. Whatever the case is, I haven't really had that opening yet to become as attached to a Virtue as the other bands within these two portions of the episode. I think when listening to Omen, something that I am able to understand now is that a Virtue is a band who, when they are really finding their groove and hitting their stride and just matching the matching the best bands around them punch for punch and hitting all of those notes that they excel at 
they are just as tremendous as any of their aforementioned contemporaries. I, I remember talking extensively before on this show about one of the singles called Sober, and it remains my favorite track on the album because I feel like it's the one that really paints the depth of a virtue and the impact that they can have and the strong songwriting ability from the perspective of the lyricism and also the composition that makes such lyrics as catchy and joyful to sing along to despite the subject matter not being joyful at all. There is this real sort of knack that I was able to notice within the structure of what A Virtue did on Omen in the sense that I've been able to you know, listen to so many bands and seeing at this point, maybe all of the ones that people constantly gas up and talk about and like a, a constant thread and a string that kind of moves itself through all of these bands is the ability to kind of swing back and forth on the scene spectrum and finding the right moments to be heavy and the right moments to be a, a lot more emotional and melodic. I think a virtue maybe have not perfected that balance necessarily yet, but they're definitely on their way. There are so many moments on this album where it feels like there is this real, like, champion band in the making. Not definitively, but I think potentially. The best example on the record of a virtue being able to channel that aggression in a perfect manner is on Anxiety. And because that song is just very aggressive and intense all the way through, but it still provides that sort of, you know, sing-along moment through spelling out the word anxiety. And it's a little bit cliche, sure, but just hearing it on the record, I feel like it works. And I also believe that in a live setting, it would work even further. And then on the flip side of that, the song that immediately follows anxiety is Floating. And that song, it's so just gutting and the weight of the subject matter of the song just kind of lifts me up as opposed to pull me down. And I really admire when a song that is as emotionally gripping as floating is able to do that. And also, the song features Rory Rodriguez from Dayseeker, and I didn't initially see his name in the, the track listing, so when his verse came on, the only thing I can compare it to, if you guys have seen this video before, it's from DJ Academics listening to Astro by Travis Scott for the first time, and when he heard Drake come in on sicko mode, he like loses his shit and he's freaking out, and not I didn't do it to that extent, but I, I just had this moment where like I kind of like stopped and was like, yo, that's my boy Rory, holy shit, and it, it was like this genuinely exciting moment that really helped propel floating from being you know just a great song into a masterful one at that I, I think there were two like minor gripes that i do want to at least mention because they were not distracting necessarily but just things that i did kind of pick up on and notice when it comes to you know my personal taste for music and what i look for in these records there were two songs here sinner and false idols where i just kind of felt like the choruses, they didn't really deliver as massively as they could have, and that is an element and a factor into the overall score of the record, 
because courses I felt like were one of the strong suits for a virtue throughout the whole album. So to have two songs, and especially the closer, kind of missed the mark on that, it, it did hinder the listening experience just slightly. Like, this is still an album that I would definitely recommend to anybody who is into this style of metalcore, and if you enjoy, you know, some of the other bands out there, like I Prevail, Bad Omens, um... I'm going to say Siler in a way because I feel like Floating reminds me of Sick Minded by them. This is a band that you can probably sink your teeth into and really find something or some things to love. The same way that I have coming out of Omen. And for the final record of this part of the episode, we have No Love Lost by Year of the Knife. So before going into anything about this record from a sonic or production standpoint, what is most important to note at this time regarding Year of the Knife is that all proceeds from this album will be going directly to the band after a van accident that they went through back in June of this year. It was one of those moments kind of similar to the Ghost Inside crash in 2015 and then what happened to Cliff Diver a few months ago where... The risk and danger of touring is highlighted to us in a way that nobody ever wants to see. But for the members of Year of the Knife, if there is any bit of positivity to take from this accident, I would hope that they understand just how loved they are and how quickly so many people were to support them immediately after everything happened. Um, Maddie Watkins, who is the vocalist of Year of the Knife, she suffered the greatest extent of the injuries among the band, and her husband, Brandon, who is also in the band, has been documenting her recovery on social media, and if you guys haven't seen any of it, I really do recommend checking out his feed on Twitter and Instagram, because even though it is very hard to watch in real time somebody give details about a loved one's condition when they didn't initially know what was going to happen, it also genuinely makes me happy to see Maddie becoming, you know, more responsive and finally getting out of the hospital recently. And that video specifically of Maddie leaving while the hospital staff who looked after her gave her a round of applause and hugged her on her way out. That's the, like, really emotional and impactful type of shit that makes you be wary of the you know, like the the tenderness and the fragility of life while acknowledging the beauty that it's capable of showing in dark times. And again, proceeds from this album will be going to the band, so if you have the means to support them right now, please, please do so, because they are quality people who, you know, have been dealt a shitty hand and at the very least, we as a scene can, you know, kind of rally around them and make sure that they're taken care of. And, you know, truthfully, it, it does feel a little bit strange to 
just going to talking about their music after going over all of that. But I, I think us consumers in taking this record and looking at it critically gives a sense of normalcy, not only for ourselves, but the band as well. And, you know, we have all supported them and we all became attached to them for their music in the first place. No Love Loss is their second release with Maddie on vocals. She made the transition from bassist to vocalist for their EP at the beginning of the year called Dust to Dust. And I thought it was the perfect way to introduce her in that new role. And No Love Lost not only keeps their momentum going in that regard, but it also heightens it because I don't know if there is a better release so far this year that really shows just how far the boundaries of hardcore can be pushed. And I say that because this album is definitely rooted in hardcore, but it did feel like the band, you know, reached into certain areas of neighboring genres per se, like metalcore and deathcore and thrash metal to make this album what it is. I think I might have used the term ass beater to describe some heavy records this year. There is no album that personifies the act of ass beating more than No Love Lost by Year of the Knife. That's a very strange way to put it, but like, it's just 20 minutes of just straight fucking brutality. No moment whatsoever to really breathe or, you know, kind of allow you to intake what it is you just heard. It's a very go, go, go motion. And there was no other way this album could have paced itself. It doesn't know a pace. It is limitless. And there are no boundaries to what No Love Lost can do to you. And the way that it just batters your fucking face in just from the moment that you press play on the opening song sometimes and that aggression that you feel in it that intensity it, it's a constant throughout the album that emotion is just there and it's prevalent through everything into wish morning living alice and then later on your control heaven denied your control was my favorite of the singles and it's the kind of song that i just like i feel in the moment hearing it, I feel that aggression and the spirit of hardcore. It is just beaming out of my heart. And I love the fact that this album can do that for me. It is a tremendous fucking time. I think Year of the Knife really put every ounce of energy and vibrancy they had into this album. And I know that they carry those characteristics because you know i've seen live performances of the band before online i've seen the energy that they exude and the ability they had to transfer that atmosphere into this album and make it so just fucking malevolent yet blissful all at once that's a goddamn achievement and year of the knife did nothing but reach heights and achievements on this album. And that's it. Sort of. That's it for every single and album that I chose to talk about on this part of the episode. Part two is going up at the same time as this one. So if you've made it through part one, thank you. And also, I encourage you guys to go check out part two for the continued coverage of this busy ass fucking week. So, yeah, I'll let you guys go on about your business now, whether you're going to part two or you're going to go do something else or maybe you finished part two already. I don't know. You live your life. You do what you want to do. And that's on you. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this part of the episode. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.